Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood gets the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them, and this week it's, it's, uh, I don't know, I don't know how- uh, we're gonna be perched a, a, from many a a roof, staring ominously do down, and parkour and stab people. Yeah, it's parkour and stab people. Uh, we're gonna be talking about Assassin's Creed. Uh, Assassin's, uh, Assassin's Creed and Clearwater Revival. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a video game that I do in theory enjoy, but because I don't play a lot of video games, I haven't actually played. But I've read a lot of material from it okay yeah so like me with mortal Kombat or you with warhammer yeah (laughs) look it's got a really neat premise it's just video games beyond pokemon aren't really my thing yeah that's fair so anyway this is an idea that's been percolating in my head for a while and it definitely kind of sort of came together when i was reading a true crime book this past summer black dahlia red rose the crime corruption and cover-up of america's greatest unsolved murder by pew eatwell um and it's all about well the black dahlia murder all right and i thought it would be a good starting off point for this video game which i am unoriginally calling uh assassin's creed noir It's just a trope. Like, you're going to set it in the 40s in Hollywood. Of course, they're going to call it Assassin's Creed Noir. There's already an L.A. Noir. Somebody else beat me to the punch when coming up with the title. Also, Assassin's Creed, it... I Should we have to explain what Assassin's Creed is? Yeah, because I don't think people understand the premises, the, the the multiple changing and mutating premises across time and space for the assassins and their creeds. Yeah. Okay. So, Assassin's Creed, it's a game from Ubisoft, or a game series from Ubisoft. It's a science fiction alternate history themed uh, third-person stealth-based sandbox action game developed by Ubisoft. The series as a whole pivots on a secret war between two powerful conspiracies that became public during the Crusades. The Templars, who are the bad guys. They wish to make mankind be united in peace under their inline control, and the assassins who believe that humans are flawed and desire to control other humans is the greatest flaw that humans possess. And... The different games take place in different points of time. Uh, they've covered the Third Crusade, the Italian Renaissance and Italian Wars, the Ottoman Empire, the American Revolution, Golden Age of Piracy, the Seven Years' War, also known as the French and Indian Wars in the U.S., uh, the French Revolution, Victorian Britain, Ptolemaic Era Egypt, uh, the Peloponnesian War, the dumbest war I've ever read about. <laughs> this war is so stupid. <laughs> It's all Alcibiades' fault. <laughs> Zero out of five stars. Would not war again. <laughs> it's the one that that is the reason why Lysistrata was written. Just to okay. prove how dumb the war was. <laughs> and the most recent game is set in the Viking Age. During the Great Heathen Army. Yeah, it's definitely Great Heathen Army because it involves Alfred the Great of England. Or Wessex at the time. So... What I want to do. This is probably something that a lot of people have thought about. I'm probably not the first to come up with it. Set it all the way in 1940s 
Los Angeles because there was weird shit going on. A lot of crime and corruption because we're dealing with the film industry. And I want to set it in January. Well, the, the game will start in January of 1947 because on January 15th, of 1947, a woman by the name of Betty Bersinger was out for a walk with her little girl in the morning in the Latimer Park neighborhood of Los Angeles, and they spot what at first looked like a mannequin that had been dumped in an empty lot, and then Betty goes and gets a better look, and uh, it's a body. <laughs> it's a real grisly body. So she calls it into the police, and thus begins the investigation into the Black Dahlia. All right. Yeah. And I should probably explain the Black Dahlia. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So uh, the Black Dahlia was a woman by the name of Elizabeth Short. Uh, She was originally from Medford, Massachusetts. She kind of had it rough for a lot of her life. Her family was a, a fairly okay middle-class family her dad had a nice business building mini golf courses and then the 1929 stock market crash happened and he disappeared so elizabeth her mother and her four sisters had to move into a cramped apartment her mom took on a bunch of jobs um and then elizabeth developed um bronchitis and severe asthma uh she underwent lung surgery at the age of 15 after which the doctor suggested that she locate to milder climates during the winter months to prevent uh, further respiratory problems. So she first goes to Miami. For the next three years, she kind of bounces in between uh, Medford and Miami until she drops out of high school in her sophomore year. Then she starts bouncing between uh, Florida and California for a bit because her dad shows up again. And she goes to live with him in Vallejo, but they didn't, as it turns out, they didn't really get along that well. So she eventually moves out. She starts working at base exchange at Camp Cook. And she was basically couch surfing for a long time. And then she gets allegedly engaged. There's very little proof that this happened. But according to a letter she wrote, she got engaged to a guy named Major Matthew Michael Gordon Jr. That's too many names. He was in the Air Force group, or I should say Army Air Force, because the Air Force in the uh, wasn't its own thing. The U.S. Air Force wasn't its own thing until like the 50s. Uh, he was training for deployment in the China-Burma-India Theater of Operations. And then near the end of the war, he gets shipped out and he dies less than a week before the surrender of Japan, ending the war. So yeah, uh, not great. Uh, she goes back to California, winds up in Long Beach for a bit. She again just starts couch surfing because she can't seem to really get her life together. Um, so she winds up in an apartment behind the Florentine Gardens nightclub on Hollywood Boulevard, which was owned by Mark Hansen, who's a super sus guy. He is one of the many people who's been accused of murdering her. And one of the people I think has the strongest case that he was involved. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she's doing all this couch surfing, and she winds up with a guy named uh, Robert Red Manley, who was a 25-year-old sales salesman, who took her out on a date. He's a pretty weird guy. 
That happens on January 9th of 1947. He drops her off at the Biltmore Hotel, which is located on 506 South Grand Avenue in downtown Los Angeles. And uh, Short said that she was going to meet her sister there. One of her sisters had moved out to California as well. By some accounts, the staff of the Biltmore recalled having seen Short use the lobby telephone shortly after she was allegedly seen by patrons of the Crown Grill Cocktail Lounge at 475 South Olive Street, a couple blocks away, and that was the last time she was seen alive. Her body isn't discovered until January 15th, and the medical examiner determined that she was probably killed on the evening of January 14th or in the very early hours of January 15th. Okay. So... The main plot, the main plot of this game is you're going to be playing an assassin, a member of the Order of Assassins. Okay, so now we're in the game. Yeah. That was all backstory. (laughs) Yeah. I I needed to establish some of the timeline here and who Elizabeth Short was because it's kind of the crux of the main plot. So So why um, is she called the Black Dahlia? uh, That was a name given to her by Aggie Underwood, who was a reporter for the Herald Express. She was famous for breaking a lot of these really big uh, LA-related murders, and uh, she liked to give monikers to the various uh, victims. Okay. It was kind of like a a headline-grabbing thing. And apparently, just before Elizabeth had died, she had seen a movie called The Blue Dahlia. Okay. Yeah. So, it was already in the papers, and it was better sounding than The Werewolf Killer. (laughs) Because as I said, the where'd the werewolf come from? Um, her body was fucking mutilated. I don't want to go into details. It's one of those. I one of the big things is that when they found her, her body was bisected. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, I'm gonna save everybody the rest of the details. If you want to look them up, you can. It. it Likely what killed her was a Glasgow grin. Just the shock of getting a Glasgow grin. Yeah. I like how you said you're not going to go into details and immediately start dropping details. <laughs> okay. They're, the two details I will give are she probably died from shock from getting a Glasgow grin from whoever killed her. And she was fucking bisected after she died. Okay, so then it sounds like whoever killed her either really hated her and or was just very much messed up. Yeah, that's what most people think. That's why I'm like, it might have been Mark Hansen who at least ordered the murder. If not did it himself. I'll talk about George Hodel. Okay, uh, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just going to talk about George Hodel right here. He's the most famous guy accused of killing her. He's this weird psychopathic doctor. a uh, Venereal doctor, in fact. And uh, he got... Um, associated with a crime because his daughter accused him of molesting her and then during the trial, Hodel's lawyer wanted to disprove or wanted to cast doubt onto Tamar's uh, testimony by making her look unreliable, like saying she makes up all sorts of stuff and saying, oh yeah, she also accused, uh, Tamar accused Dr. Hodel of murdering the Black Dahlia. Isn't that ridiculous? And people just latched onto that because he was already this kind of creepy guy. The LAPD did bug his house at one point, and he was talking about how he might have killed the Black Dahlia, and he might have killed his secretary. (laughs) 
who like did die under mysterious sure? circumstances. Was he unsure if he had committed these or? Um, well, the unsure part is the LAPD being the corrupt police force it is, and they will be a factor in this game. Um, they threw out a whole bunch of the Black Dahlia files, so there's not a lot of like the original notes left to go by. Okay, hang on. Okay, maybe I missed something. You said that they bugged the doctor's apartment, and the doctor was talking about he might have killed the Black Dahlia. Yeah, but yeah, so whether or not saying, like, he the... was being truthful or he was being just a psycho who was boasting. Oh, okay. Yeah, because you know, after this got into the, of of course, this accusation gets into the press because it's one of the most sensational murders out there. Yep. And as I said, he was weird. And then his son later accused him of being the Black Dahlia murderer. And then the problem is this son, Steve Hodel, goes on accusing his dad of also being the Zodiac Killer. And I think at one point his dad might have been the Unabomber. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not saying that George Hodel didn't commit some crimes, including murder. I'm just saying it probably wasn't the Black Dahlia because there it... There's no actual proof that he had any contact with Elizabeth Short prior to her murder. Whereas Mark Hansen, super suspicious nightclub owner with connections to both Hollywood execs, the city government, and the LAPD, including a guy who was potentially dating, uh, oh, what was her name? Brenda Smith or something. She was like a major Hollywood madam. So, yeah, he was super sus and involved in a lot of sketchy stuff. And apparently Elizabeth Short, actually, this is provable. Elizabeth Short lived in, a, in his apartment for a while, and she was apparently super clean. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on Elizabeth's Wikipedia page now, and apparently one of the other suspects is Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, shit got wild. They accused Woody Guthrie at one point. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason why this uh, crime has never been solved. Um, And there's just a lot of people were making shit up or because Elizabeth Short, she seemed to have been kind of a pathological liar, like not in a bad way. It's just like one of those impulse lies. You get into a tight spot and you want to look better or you want to get out of something. So you say something. And then that era of Hollywood, like, if you can get a 15 minutes of fame, or claim that you've had that fame at some point. Yeah, like, people were saying that she was trying to become an actress, even though she has no credited roles, and I don't know- But she does have a headshot. (laughs) Well, my biggest thing is, like, has anyone actually sat down to watch old Hollywood films from about 1943 to 1946, and- stared at them to see if they can spot Elizabeth Short in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, anyway. I'm not going with the George Hodel theory. I don't think he did it. I think there's a lot more evidence pointing to Mark Hansen and his associates being involved. Anyway, the story. So, it starts with Aggie Underwood. Aggie Underwood was a uh, reporter and later editor for the Herald Express, which was kind of a... It was kind of a tabloidy newspaper, but Aggie managed to elevate the Herald Express. She did a lot of really great reporting about, like, um, oh, she was one of the, uh, she did an interview with Amelia Earhart and followed, like, her disappearance. She witnessed the autopsies of Thelma Todd, 
and Jean Harlow. And uh, at one point she had to sue uh, CBS for something. But the weird thing about her connection, aside from being one of the first reporters on the scene of Elizabeth Short's murder, was that almost immediately afterwards, she gets a promotion to an editor job and uh, was told, yeah, you're going to be too busy to write about this. It's like, that's weird. Even she was like, this is weird. Something's Mm -hmm. up. So (laughs) in this game, you're going to be playing the fictional protege of Aggie Underwood by the name of Irene Scott, who is an assassin, secretly an assassin. I'm still debating on how much Aggie Underwood would know about Irene also being in the killing people business. Question. Did, <laughs> yes. did she become an assassin before or after she became an assistant journalist? <laughs> well, I was thinking with Irene's backstory is that she was trained by her aunt and uncle because her she was living out in West Virginia. Parents got involved with stuff. Mom's an assassin too. Got sent out West because stuff was getting hairy. <laughs> Whether or not she had been killing people, I don't know. It's not that important. But I think it would be fun if we have a journalist who is also an assassin. Also puts them into an interesting position. Also, it's something that um, the more expanded material has covered with a guy named... uh, Ugh, fuck. I can look it up later. Anyway, Aggie's gonna assign you the Elizabeth Short story with the whole, like, maybe just keep this on the down low so that the uh, guys upstairs... You know, don't shuffle you off to, I don't know, the the society column. <laughs> or sports. <laughs> um, they wouldn't put a woman in charge of sports. <laughs> <laughs> then she'd get, like, the recipe section. Yeah, she would probably get the recipes. <laughs> so, you as Irene are going to be investigating Elizabeth Short with a focus on the missing week. The eventual story is going to be, what I was thinking is, Mark Hansen is going to be a low-level member of the Templar Order. And he's kind of like the fixer for them. He does a lot of the low-level grunt work shit. And he has his own people who do stuff for him, but like they're they're not part of the Templars. They, they just work for him. And what's going to happen is, um, one of the big MacGuffins and one of the things that moves a lot of the plot are called pieces of Eden. So these are artifacts from a long lost civilization that take on the form of usually Greek gods and they give immense powers to people like um, Assassin's Creed Rogue. The character you play gets sent on a mission to Lisbon to uh, recover one of these pieces of Eden. But as it turns out, that triggers the massive earthquake that hit Lisbon in, I think it was 1710. Okay. Yeah, it's a whole thing. These are immensely powerful artifacts. Yeah, 1755 was the Lisbon earthquake. So Elizabeth, who is very desperate for money at this point, there's a lot of evidence that she had like maybe enough money to buy a room for a night. Like she was so close to just like sleeping on a bench. Mm-hmm. So she calls Mark Hansen looking to, I-, I need money. I need money fast. And he's like, yeah, sure. I, uh, you know what, maybe you scratch my back, I scratch your back. So she's going to be transporting, like, a small a suitcase, basically. She doesn't know what the contents is. She is told not to open this. She is to go over to Mexico, to over to Tijuana, get it, bring it back to the States. 
hand it off to someone. And maybe she... In fact, maybe she did. does take a peek and it's a weird glowy object and she's like, okay, that's weird. Maybe they're involved in spying and she gets some cold feet and that's where she, you know, gets handed off to one of Mark Hansen's guys. Um, so there's another suspect by the name of Leslie Dillon. He was a bellhop and he had some, like, through other people connections to Mark Hansen. And he was a bit of a pimp in San Francisco, I want to say. And he was an early suspect in Short's murder. Uh, the police botched the investigation into him, but there's also some strong evidence that he was involved because he was seen at a motel with a woman who matched Short's description. And when he left, the girl disappeared. And the cleaner goes into the room, and it was covered in blood. Just, it was like something out of saw. Ooh. Caked in blood. Yikes. Yeah. You're gonna find out. Elizabeth gets handed over to Leslie Dillon. He dispatches her. And now it's have to get the suitcase with the piece of Eden. Maybe, in fact, Elizabeth <laughs> managed to, like, hide it somewhere. I'm taking some plot points from, um... The film version of Kiss Me Deadly. Okay. So the fun thing about Kiss Me Deadly, it was originally based off of this really trashy book by Mike Spillaney. And the MacGuffin that everybody is after in that book is a block of heroin. Now, when it got adapted in the 50s, this is Hays Code era, you can't have a block of heroin as your MacGuffin. It's just not going to fly. Yeah. So uh, Kiss Me Deadly is famous for having, for basically doing a 180 when it comes to genre like you're in your pretty bog standard uh film noir and then mike hammer the main protagonist finds the box that everybody is looking for in a locker opens it and it's like weird glowy shit there's like sounds coming out of the arc of the covenant he gets burned like radiation looking burns <laughs> <laughs> and it quickly comes it's quickly implied that, oh yeah, this is like nuclear shit, and they're spies, and at the end, the um, main villain, so in the book, she's just like covered in oil, be or uh, not oil, uh, alcohol, because uh, she's- slathered up in baby oil. <laughs> well, she suffered from some pretty horrific burns, so she has like these alcohol massages to alleviate the pain, and okay. she does this speech that it's the- uh, liar's kiss speech and uh my camera realizes that she's got a fresh coat of liquor on her and lights her up like a roman candle in the movie because again they can't do the whole heroin thing and they've also got this whole nuclear uh secrets thing going on she opens up the box and it's she's turned into a pillar of flame <laughs> it's actually pretty scary yikes yeah <laughs> The whole thing I'm trying to get to is Elizabeth Short was smart enough to hide the to hide the suitcase with a piece of Eden in this and like she was just 21 when she was murdered so it was a fairly quick hide of I, I don't know a bus station locker but yeah. it's like one of those like you wouldn't think of looking there yeah it's not like some magical I mean I've I've been browsing the TV Tropes page for Assassin's Creed just so I can try and grasp this franchise because, holy shit, it goes in directions. Yeah. 
<laughs> um, but it's talking about how all these pieces of being are usually stored like these big vaults and stuff to withstand 75,000 years of history. And so you're looking for this like big ancient like, Knights Templar style conspiracy location. And Elizabeth is like, fuck it, locker. <laughs> <laughs> Just get me the fuck out of here. <laughs> yep. So yeah, that's a lot of the main plot. I haven't even gone into how I am going to attempt to rope in Jack Parsons. That might be more of a DLC thing. So I think I've mentioned Jack Parsons here a couple times, but he was a famous rocket scientist and a cultist. And guess oh, who, right. of course, turns up in the Assassin's Creed books? It's Aleister Crowley, who was mentored to Jack Parsons when it came to all things magic. Yeah, that uh, makes sense. Yep. <laughs> So, for a while in the Assassin's Creed lore, there was actually a bit of a three-way fight going on. Because you have the Templars on one side, you have the Assassins on the other, and then you had the Hermeticists, who were created by Pythagoras. This is, like, stuff from Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Eventually, the the Hermeticists go away for a bit, and then they're revived in uh, Renaissance Italy. And it eventually morphs into the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, which uh, Aleister Crowley eventually joins. He's kind of... He isn't a big bad. He's the star scream <laughs> for that story. Because um, they're trying to get pieces of Eden to do their own stuff, and a lot of backstabbing happens. So I'm like, okay, Crowley dies in December 47, a penniless heroin addict. Why would the Templars and the Assassins let him go? And maybe it's just because he managed to backstab everybody, and people were just like done with his bullshit? Or... Al- Aster Crowley died a penniless heroin addict, according to history. Yeah. Both of these organizations have ha- had enough sway, and the, the a Templar specifically became, like, a world-spanning secret organization. Yeah. They could just rewrite the history books and say that's what happened to Crowley, when really, like, he he was, like, he probably was playing both sides the whole time, but then, I don't know, he got eaten by a cosmic <laughs> baby. That sounds like how he would go out. <laughs> I mean, he. Okay, so he did attempt to summon his own guardian angel one time, and uh, it went badly. So he might have opened up a door to something that he wasn't able to shut. And then, decades later, Jack Parsons and Elvron Hubbard attempt to summon the Antichrist. <laughs> And then all three of them were just incinerated by Della Reese. <laughs> so what I was thinking as part of Irene's backstory is that she she's a graduate of Caltech, which was the school that Jack Parsons was associated with. He uh, started the uh, Jet Propulsion Lab, basically. Okay. And he also flirted with communism. Communism is also going to be a thing in here because I, your girl Irene is a communist herself. A, a down low one. Like, she doesn't like to talk about it. I mean, obviously. <laughs> this is the era that communism is sus. Yeah. It's just, you know, the whole West Virginia connection. That's because, like, her dad, a non-assassin. He was just a regular dude. But he was also a coal miner and union organizer and was one of the guys who was arrested for the events at uh, Blair Mountain. I'm pretty sure the assassins would support unionization and seizing yeah. the means of production. Yeah. Like, that's why her mom married him. He was, like, charismatic union leader. And it's like, damn, you're hot. <laughs> 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 yeah. So one of the things is Jack Parson did 
flirt with Marxism for a time, but he got into magic and was a bit too much of an individual to, <laughs> to join the Communist Party. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also guessing it's one of those like time management things. He was already spending a lot of time blowing shit up in Areo Seco, uh, a canyon over in Pasadena. And um, also trying to summon demons. <laughs> okay, probably not trying to summon demons, but definitely trying to do magic. And yeah, he ended up becoming a Thelemite. Um, but I was thinking, Irene could have started her journalism career working at the Caltech newspaper. And it's like, hey, these weirdo rocket scientist guys are doing weird shit over in the canyon. Let's take some pictures. <laughs> They were called the Suicide Squad, him and a bunch of other physicists, because, again, they were working with straight-up nitroglycerin. Yeah, okay. Rocketry was still fairly new, so... Whatever you want, I guess. There's no chemicals in everything. It's a garden angel. If I'm blowing shit up. Like, Jack... The way Jack Parsons in, ends up biting it, um, he was already planning on leaving the U.S. and working for the Israelis with their military projects, or straight up going to the Soviet Union. But um, uh, one of the ways that he made money was making pyrotechnics for film uh productions. And just as he was about to leave for Mexico, he gets a call from his studio being like, "Hey, we need like however many pounds of um of TNT or the whatever, like." kind of yesterday so he's like fuck i'll make them some stuff and then kaboom blows up his garage so part of the dlc will be eventually either your help and jack parsons escape and fake his death or you go and assassinate him because he's doing a fuck this i'm out of here and uh yeah tamper with some of them stuff yeah I don't know how much L. Ron Hubbard I want in this because I know that the Scientologists are kind of um, litigious. Yeah. Yeah. They're not going to find us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff there. Um, I was discussing this with Ryan where like most of the mooks and most of the bad guys are definitely going to be the LAPD. Like just up and down. As I said, it's one of the most corrupt police forces on the planet yeah we we could have a few spots where it seems like they're corrupt because the templars are like have infiltrated them and then it turns out like no they're just corrupt because they're cops here <laughs> was going like maybe some of these some of the higher-ups could be templars i mean the, obviously the templars are going to take advantage of it but they're yeah. going to be like hey this is great we we really didn't have to manipulate them that much they just casually just corrupted themselves yeah. This is lazy. <laughs> Given to us on a silver platter. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, we could totally make the mayor of LA a Templar. And some of the execs, for sure. And hell, maybe we could have a reference to a young B-movie actor by the name of Ronald Reagan. <laughs> I'm kind of over Reagan references. Yeah. Because everyone, every, they're... It's, it's always the same. Because you don't even say anything interesting about it. It's like, hey, uh, there's a cowboy actor named Ronald Reagan. Did you hear about Ronald Reagan, the cowboy actor? Nothing will ever become a Ronald Reagan, the cowboy actor. Because he's a cowboy actor, and he's named Ronald Reagan. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking of making Reagan a Templar. But you know what? Maybe make Nancy the Templar. 
<laughs> See, that would be more interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, being an open world game, like, once you've completed the main storyline, it's mostly, like, getting assigned stuff, but I was also thinking of some other DLC that could be had. Yeah, also, like, and also, it doesn't have to all be post-game. Like, there can be plenty of things happening at the same time. Yeah. Like, um, one of the things I hear from podcasters who live in LA is, like, cults are everywhere. Just always assume your yoga instructor is trying to start a cult. <laughs> <laughs> I should move to LA. <laughs> like, the whole weird connection Mount Shasta has with um like the occult it's all la based it, it, yeah it it's weird just just look up the i am um activity group or something they might have been involved with a murder hmm um i was thinking like there could also be some stuff that happens in the past because Part of Irene's backstory is that for the past while she's been over in Europe uh, doing some correspondence work, both like near the tail end of World War II and then with the whole wrap up before she comes back to L.A., which means we could have some Nazi hunting. Woo! Yay! Um, the Battle of Blair Mountain, that could be another past DLC with her mom, Caroline, which is battling Pinkertons and Union Busters. <laughs> <laughs> cover stuff like smuggling maybe go to the soviet union maybe go to las vegas because that's a corrupt fucking town i feel like las vegas would be dlc uh kind of in the sense how fallout got new vegas as a ah. whole uh, expansion yeah also like i wanted to have stuff out in the desert yeah oh yeah like there's enough going on that they could have its own game maybe not even beyond expansion it's just like a sequel between the numbered sequels yeah yeah, because we could do like a whole Cold War stuff. Like, there's so much stuff going on that it's like just crack open a book and we find a topic to cover. I would say if Irene gets popular enough, maybe she could become like an Ezio where like she does get three games. <laughs> um, and then some sort of connection to what's going on with the rebuild of the. Uh, assassins in the present time because part of their lore is that in 2000 there was a big they nearly got wiped out by the templars okay i was thinking what is irene because it seems like the the problem with the assassins is that even at their strongest they tend to go for like these small little individual cells that are fairly isolated and it makes them very easy to infiltrate and wipe out because it's all based around trust and, you know, barely vetting people, it seems. Yeah. And what I was thinking with Irene is that she re she's realizing what the problem is because it's, a sim it's potentially a similar problem that a lot of left wing groups face where because of this need for secrecy and just like stuff like Cointel, Cointel Pro and all sorts of like government uh, infiltration. The groups get very isolated and small and everybody turns on each other. And she's like we need unity and we need strength and maybe concentration in one place and also exertion of soft power and not 
constantly having to murder people. I'm down with a murder sometimes, but it also leaves a trail. We have a very distinct style. <laughs> so yeah, I, I think part of Irene's backstory is going to be trying to find a way to ensure the assassin's survival into the future and to better uh, counter the influence of the Templars with more softer stuff. But also, one of the ideas I had was that the assassins are going to side with uh, this one ring of spies at Los Alamos and help get the secrets to building nuclear weapons to the Soviets. Because at this time, the only country on the planet that has nuclear weapons in 1947 is the United States. Mm -hmm. And I, in my mind, I think the Templars want to keep it that way. And one of the things that happened was because World War II pushed a lot of projects, a lot of scientific projects over in the Soviet Union back because they had to focus on, you know, surviving. And they did have their own nuclear program, but again, World War II happened. And it was thought that the Soviets wouldn't have their own bomb until sometime in the 50s, but they managed to detonate one in 1949. And they did it by cheating, basically. They had uh, scientists, or they managed to recruit scientists at Los Alamos to basically smuggle secrets to them so that they could fast track their own nuclear weapons program with the idea of being, the United States can't be the only country with this weaponry. We have to balance this out. It's not great. I don't support this sort of stuff. Like, I don't support nuclear weapons at all. But, like, might as well balance this out. Because mm -hmm. it's leaning heavy to one side. So that's the biggest moral compromise I'll make with Irene. Okay. Because maybe she's a bit hesitant about the whole nuclear weapon stuff. But it's like, this is, this is going to be dangerous. This is going to be, like... Have you ever seen uh, Castle in the Sky? I've seen like the second half. Okay, so in the second half, when Muska gains control over the castle, and as it turns out, it's got like a super weapon on its bottom, and it can like lightning strike an area into oblivion, basically. And the whole thing uh, with the main characters self-destructing the bottom part of that place um, is that no one person should have this incredible power. Yeah. But in this case, like, it's already here, and this is a power that's already here. It's not going away anytime soon, so we might as well tip the scales back to something more even, unless we develop MAD, Mutually Assured Destruction. Yeah, and I, because going from that, maybe it becomes her something that she regrets doing. It's honestly, it might be better to just not have her involved at all. Okay. Like, the, just because that, honestly, with all the other stuff we want to put in, and especially put, like, our focus, 
Like, our main focus is the murder of one woman. Yeah. And so I feel like it would be a disservice and we wouldn't be able to adequately explore stuff when also... Oh, also, by the way, in the background, Irene may or may not be responsible for the development of the atomic bomb and the nuclear arms race as a whole. Yeah, okay. Like, the, yeah. that's way too big a thing to put in this one game. That, that Again, that is a whole game in and of itself. And yeah, probably a bit like... too serious for Assassin's Creed to deal with. Yeah, okay. Okay, I, I read you. Yeah. Um, as for bringing justice to poor Elizabeth Short, I would say because maybe not only can the Templars rewrite history a bit, but the Assassins can also adjust history when needed for their purposes. Yeah, like, you talk about the Templars being a conspiracy organization entrenched in every um, system. But obviously the assassins are going to have to do a little bit of that too if they're to yeah. at all survive into the modern day, even if their numbers have extremely dwindled. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so what I was thinking with Mark Hansen, like, yeah, he's not an important member of the Templars. He's probably never going to rise that high. But you can still get rid of him because he did die in the 60s from a heart attack. But we can adjust that. I feel like my heart would also be attacked if someone shoved a spike through it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the, like, the Templars change the official records. The Assassins just take people out. Yeah, and, like, this is a series that's already, it's pretty much stated that this is al alternate history, so. Well, and also, did, I can't remember, at the beginning, do you mention the Animus? No, I didn't mention the Animus. I don't know how to fit it in, because the story takes place so close to the future, or to the present. So, yeah, okay, so that's, so... So let's let's double way, way back, because here's one of the few, very few things I inherently know about Assassin's Creed, is that the reason it all plays out like a video game is because it takes place in the present day with a person plugged into a machine called the Animus that lets them experience the genetic memories of their ancestors, and it just so happens that everyone has to have an assassin as their ancestor when they get plugged into the Animus, I guess. Yeah. And that's the explanation for, like, why you have the heads-up display and, like, why everything seems a bit like a video game and why you can have deviations from history because it's like, well, you're reliving the memories as best you can, but they're obviously they're not perfect, and so there's room for improvisation and stuff like that. Yeah. Th that's another thing, is that with this being set so close, this would be, if it were to be made, it would be the most modern Assassin's Creed game there is. Yeah. And so you could even have, like, Irene still be alive and, like, at oh, the Oh, she's end of uploading the game, her memories! Oh, yeah, that's how it can be. Yeah. Like, you start the game off thinking it's so, like some random schmuck who is re-experiencing Irene stuff, and then at the end it's like, no, Irene herself was just loading them up into, I don't know, cyberspace. Yeah, because I gave her birth date as um, 1914, which means she would be over 100 now. <sighs> that's easy. Yeah. Eat your greens. Drink your <laughs> Ovaltine. Healthy living. <laughs> she has a great cardio routine Irene how did you <laughs> I was like how did you live so long well aside from killing people I also like took up yoga <laughs> <laughs> I killed all my enemies before they could kill me also green tea <laughs> yeah <laughs> also I became a vegetarian in like 58 <laughs> and it did wonders <laughs> That's that's how it is. all the assassins are also vegans. Yeah. They unlocked the secret vegan powers. 
<laughs> it actually would make sense for a woman from the 40s to become a vegetarian because she lives in LA. <laughs> oh. She was already having avocado toast before it became popular. <laughs> so, um, on the cosmetic side of this, like, I want this to be as customizable as possible for, like, your appearance okay. and... So Irene has no canonical appearance then? Um, well, on the box art, I was thinking that the famous, like, hood cloak thing is going to be, like, a trench coat with a hood. And, of course, it's going to look fancier than that. I mean, the, the, I, I was very much thinking it would just look like standard 1940s uh, women's winter fashion, probably. Wait, was Elizabeth killed during the winter? Uh, yeah, January. Okay. But, like, this is LA winter? They don't have weather? <laughs> Uh, that's true. Still, maybe maybe there's an unseasonable snowfall. Artistic license. <laughs> but she could yeah, have just like a normal LA coat with the hood up, but because there's just enough of the iconography around and like, and you can see her with her handbag in one hand and like the gauntlet, like have the gauntlet over her other hand. And she's like just slightly turned to face the person, but most of her face is still covered. And of course, yeah. the fact that it'll say in big letters, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> Noir. Actually, I think it might be a cool, uh, snappier title if it was Assassin's Creed Black Dahlia. Oh. Yeah, that would catch some attention. Just also a point out the fact that, like, yeah, that's why we call her the Black Dahlia, because it's, it's catchy. Yeah. <laughs> and also, uh, to, to Aggie's credit, it could also be a situation where, like, uh, yeah, obviously it sells headlines, but also if you're selling headlines, there's also a better chance that people pay attention or are willing to help solve it, like, with yeah. tips and whatnot. It's the same level of logic where uh, Michelle McNamara dubbed the guy the Golden State Killer. Yeah. And that's when he started taking off in popular culture instead of having like seven different regional nicknames. And uh, the seven different regional nicknames was all because the different police departments at the time did not talk to each other. Yeah. I can't believe it took Patton Oswalt's wife to like <laughs> contact seven different police departments and say, hey, have y'all ever compared notes? <laughs> Fuck, if you do any research into, like, the Boston Strangler, like, the different precincts within the city of Boston did not talk to each other. But, like, one of the big problems that hit the Black Dahlia case was, um, at the time, journalists were kind of, like, detectives in and of themselves, and they're still detectives, do a lot of detective work, but they would put, like, all the information in the articles... Which isn't that great of a strategy when you're trying to find a murderer because everybody called in with tips, no matter how good they were, or a lot of people claim that they killed Elizabeth Short, so that means that the police had to follow up on these leads, every single one of them, and they almost always turned out to be dead ends. But you still should, because obviously the one time you don't follow up on the lead, that's the one where it's the actual yeah. person being right. <laughs> um, what police have been doing for a couple of decades now is they have what's called holdback information. So it's like a particular uh, clue that stands out, but they keep it away from the press because it's a way to verify that this person might yeah. be the actual person. Yeah, so it's like, oh, you killed Elizabeth Fort? Yes, I did. And you cut her face up? Yes, I did. And you ate her eyeballs? Yes, I did. Ah, joke's on you! Nobody ate her eyeballs! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like, that's one 
good thing that the police have done for the past while. Of course, then then when this is the really disturbing things, it's like some the, the actual killer calls and is like, you got the details wrong in the newspaper. And they're like, oh my god, fuck, oh god, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that would be the creepiest shit ever, too. <laughs> also, like, uh, one of the ways that they identified it was Elizabeth Short and had the Mark Hansen lead was because whoever killed her sent in her purse to the police. Mm, that's also kind of creepy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so her purse had an address book that had Mark Hansen's name embossed on it, and I guess he had like bought a whole bunch because business contacts and all that. And she just took one and it acted as her address book slash diary. Hmm. So yeah, they got. So we don't even know. So that may not even be the killer. It could have been someone who like found her body and is like, okay, I gotta give the police some kind of hint. But if I'm too obvious, Mark might I might be the next one to get got. So if what if I just do this? Yeah, it could have been that. Oh, it could have even been Elizabeth. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know the timeline, but is it possible that Elizabeth sent it in expecting that she was going to get got? I don't know. Like, there's six days where anything could have happened. Yeah. You would hope that if Elizabeth knew Mark Hansen was coming for her, and she knew that, like, it was inevitable, but she had to get a hint out, it would be a little bit more obvious, like, sending her person with a big note saying, It was Mark! (laughs) Yeah! I don't know. Damn. Now you've now you've got me on conspiracy brain. <laughs> Let's get back. Can well, we please get back why... to the alternate history video game? <laughs> that's why I was like, maybe Leslie Dillon was the one who like physically murdered her, but maybe he was in cahoots with Mark Hansen. <laughs> and it was all orchestrated by Orson Welles. <laughs> because Elizabeth stole his sled! <laughs> And Avril Lavigne is her granddaughter. (laughs) The conspiracy web just grows. (laughs) Oh, yes. I know a a, a fun mechanic now. The the wall of crazy. (laughs) Conspiracy board. The string theory board. (laughs) What if... Okay, so Irene is Aggie's assistant, but what if there's another assistant, and her name is just Carol? Yeah! (laughs) There can be a mechanic where when you need to update the board, you can just, like, start mashing the X button, and Irene just starts going, Carol! Carol! (laughs) There would be one dead-end piece of evidence that just leads you to Pepe Sylvia. But anyways, so you said very highly customizable character. So other than the yeah. fact that it's locked as a girl, Irene can look like any anyone. Yes. R- ra- any race. You, you can, th- yeah. This black woman, sisters are doing it for themselves. Yes. Fabulous hats. Mm-hmm. Collectible fabulous hats. Yes. If you want to get 100% completion, you need to unlock the entirety of the 40s LA wardrobe. <laughs> you get hats, you get purses, you get shoes! <laughs> we're just gonna be the poor designers for this are just gonna have to go through all sorts of old catalogs listen Ubisoft you're gonna go through Pinterest and you're gonna like it yes we could hire so many like retro fashion YouTubers to help like guide how this is supposed to work (laughs) 
there's a whole tailoring thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> and of course, I'm going to add in driving into this. It's going to be a skill that you're going to need. LA is a car heavy city. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking the signature car, and we could possibly get a deal with them, would be a Buick Supreme or a Buick Super. It's a nice, classy okay. looking car. Ryan and I decided on that one because uh, we were just looking at cars from nineteen forty, from the late forties, and it's like, yeah. And there's a convertible version because there's not going to be the uh, carts of hay that you can jump into, but maybe you can jump into a convertible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, another part of the cost customization thing, like you might be able to earn money to go to a hairdresser to get all the different hairstyles. Yes. Yes. Mm, actually. I feel like that one should be a bit more restricted. Okay. Or maybe, I don't know, just, just because I'm thinking the hairstyles... So again, so we want Irene to be really any heritage, any ethnicity. Yeah. And the hairstyles available for... we Like, we, we can kind of scooch things and say that because Irene has a press pass, she can get into places a little bit easier than just a random non-white woman could have in that era. But yeah. the hairstyles specifically were more specific. And yeah. You you can't be Black Irene going to the white barber shop. Not even yeah. because of race stuff, just because the, those women aren't going to know what to do with her hair. Yeah. Okay. I was just thinking of like other like fun stuff for the completionists. Like yeah. In the pirate one, like you could collect sea shanties. Oh. Ooh. What if? Okay. So you could you could still go to a hairstylist, not to for any customization or anything, but you could collect gossip. Oh, yeah. And some of it isn't even relevant. Some of it is just housewife <laughs> gossip. Yes! <laughs> but then some of it is just weird enough, like, maybe you can you can sell it to, not to Aggie's paper, but, like, go to a tabloid. Yeah. <laughs> like, some version of the National Enquirer. <laughs> yeah. How long has the National Enquirer even been around? I don't know. Tabloid, uh, 1926. Awesome. So yeah, you can, you can sell the shitty stories to the National Enquirer. <laughs> or a version of it. Yes. Yeah, I don't know if they'd be totally okay with us. But at the same time, they were the ones who were like, Alien autopsy! <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, hang on. Hang on, maybe not. During the 1930s and 1940s, it became a voice for isolationism and pro-fascist propaganda. Yeah, Yeah, no. So yeah, maybe not. Um... I'm think I'm thinking I'm thinking of a different paper then a different tabloid. Oh, Weekly World News. That's the one I'm thinking of. Oh yeah. But that wasn't found until the seventies. Oh, we can fudge it as some sort of, let's say, a precursor to it, or yeah, like there was a lot of science fiction magazines out there, and they would talk about like flying saucers and all that sort of stuff because guess what also happened in 1947 the roswell crash oh that'd be another so- oh wait no that would be that'd be with the las vegas expansion yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh weekly world news folded in 2007 though it continues online and in social media Aww. tune in next week i'm rebooting weekly world news <laughs> <laughs> that boy the animated netflix special <laughs> Led to the troops to capture Thomas A. Ben Santa Claus and travel to outer space.
Oh my god. 2000, he gave his endorsement to Al Gore. It was foretold that Bat Boy would become president in 2028. We're almost there. <laughs> I mean, at this point, anything could happen. <laughs> it's 2020, anything could happen. Even a friendship promo! The Mona Lisa, the Hope Diamond, the sarcophagus of King to Uncommon. Humanity has accumulated hundreds upon hundreds of priceless artifacts and treasures, each one the physical embodiment of a certain time and place. But for all of humankind's greatest achievements, we also kind of suck. For every priceless painting on display in the Louvre, there is another masterpiece stolen and bartered off in an underground auction, or even collecting dust in your grandmother's attic. Each week, Relic, the Lost Treasure podcast, explores the strange, but mostly true, tales behind history's greatest lost treasures. If you like unsolved mysteries and true crime, with maybe a little less murder, but certainly a few weird deaths, then you should come along on the journey. Join me, Maxwell, as I dig beneath the couch cushions of history. You can find Relic on iTunes, or stream us at relic.blueberry.net. That's blueberry without the E's. Adventure awaits. I have no idea if you actually finished and it was time for Friendship Pro. It just felt right. Yeah. Honestly, like, I haven't really planned out what other games would be, but it would definitely creep into the Cold War stuff, but also, like, the weird pop culture shit that happened. Yeah. Like, it's, it's obviously the reason they put the Assassin's Creed games further back in time is because they have more room to play around. If, if you bring yeah. it into the modern day, it gets iffy, but it also gets much more interesting. I feel like if they start making very, like, if when they start making 20th century Assassin's Creed games, that's when you know, oh, we're in the end game now. Yeah. Also, Netflix, this, this, uh, if you pay us royalties, you can use this in your upcoming Assassin's Creed TV show. Yes. But anyways, um, sounds like we're finished. So, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A. And you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for not if I but you first, and they're pronounced like the noise of a knife coming out of your hand. <laughs> snicked? <laughs> no, wait, no, we can't say snicked. That was copyrighted by Marvel. <laughs> or trademarked. Marvel owns the rights to the noises snicked and bamf. <laughs> Uh, you can also email us at notafirebootyoufirst at gmail.com or you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, or your favorite 1940s fashions. You could even ask to be a guest, but if you do, make sure you send us a hint instead of the entire idea because we like being surprised. And you can also send us a French or promo that can be in the form of an audio clip or a proof for us to read or whatever. But if it's for your podcast or YouTube channel or your DeviantArt page, send it over to us and we'll put it on here for free because we like promoting stuff for free. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash first, where you can get a bevy of bonuses by supporting us financially. That being said, there are other more important things to support financially right now, including, um, uh, oh god, Ossoff and Warnock. The de- does Georgia runoffs, support the Democratic candidates, please and yeah. thank you. Um, and just in general, support your local bail funds, food sh- shelters, homeless shelters, those are the big ones. Marginalized groups in general throughout the year, regardless of political happenstance. 
That being said, we do have some patrons that are able to give to us, and so we want to give a big thank you to Charlie, Cassidy, Christina, Julia, and Rem. Thank you all. And you can also rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice, and if you can't find us on your podcatcher of choice, then contact me, and I'll try and get us in there. Not if I reboot you first as a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can find out more about the other awesome shows we share the network with at CornerPodNet on Twitter. And last but not least, our cover art, as always, is by Alex A.K.A. Pachu, and her work can be found on ptchew.com. And our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake, and you can contact us how to find a contact him if you'd like music of his own for your own. So, Tanner. So, Lindsay. What do we, <laughs> what do we have what's, planned what's for What's happening? <laughs> what's happening? <laughs> I'll tell you what's happening. We, we remembered <laughs> that we're supposed to do um, <laughs> people's choice polls. Yep. After a good two and a half months of, oh god. Yeah. This is us. We accidentally made, like, September to December the most clusterfuckiest time for this podcast because we go anniversary, Halloween, breathe for a moment, Christmas. <laughs> um, so. But I have the People's Choice next week. Um, so next week, we will be transported to a faraway land to a world where Mazda's rule I played the game like an ace, now I'm in this place to save the monsters from the evil moo. Monsters rule. Monster rancher. Monsters rule. Monster rancher. Awesome. Uh, so we'll be pointing in that direction back next week, but not if we're about you first. Bye. Pendant shows the mystery disc will take you to the shrine. Will it be that fabled mystery disc that released the phoenix inside? I'm stopping now. <laughs>